This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. And today, you guys, I'm going to be honest. This is possibly for Diversified Game. You may see also excerpts or the whole thing on my Kellen Cash YouTube, um, our Work Break Conversations podcast, possibly, because we are going to be talking about the end times. And don't think that we can't talk about the business and your purpose of the end times, but we just don't know where it's going to go. My guest today is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and he is the author of You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy. It's not his only book. He is, he can publish your book if you are so worthy. And he has he has other businesses as well um, that, you know, are very purposeful in helping families, especially in need. So, Dr. Woods, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? It's, uh, I'm doing very well. It's very good to be on with you and your listening audience. And thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you. And I just got to say, jump right into it because we had such a good conversation even prior to just setting this up. And I know you're full of, you know, just information and wisdom. Please, in these times where a lot of folks have given up on going to church because they can't and then they, you know, <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. Please talk about your, your latest book and, and what it's all about. Well, uh, you must know the times. Uh, 25 Essential Questions to uh, uh, End Time Prophecy is a book that was born out of the COVID-19 pandemic, actually. Uh, I, but first of all, I've been studying the study of eschatology. Eschatology is, this, uh, is the subject in uh, theology that studies the end time events, apocalyptic events, you know, like uh, the Battle of Armageddon and the coming of the Lord and all of these uh, uh, earthquakes and pandemics and all that that we see. So that's what eschatology means. I've been studying that for over 40 years. I started when I was in the Navy, a young, a young lad back in, uh, I would say, about 1975, 1976, when I was on the USS England uh, and I read my first Hal Lindsey book. But the reason why I decided to write this book is, is once the pandemic started, uh, there was a, uh, a lecture that went viral on the internet that said that uh, that the COVID-19 was actually not a virus, but what it was, was our body's reaction to 5G signals that were being emanated across the networks around the world. And uh, that it really wasn't a virus, that the government was putting it out that way, but what they were gonna do was come out with a vaccine to uh, uh, inoculate and uh, 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 give to people. And uh, in that vaccine would be the mark of the beast. It would be a computer chip that would be the mark of the beast. So I started getting a lot of calls from friends, fellow ministers, and uh, a lot of people concerned. They were, sitting, they were uh, messaging me this thing. So people were calling me and I'm going like, Number one, that's ridiculous. I said, how can you have the mark of the beast before the beast? 
I said the beast actually has to be here uh, in order for the mark of the beast to be issued by him. So what that so what that did is it it, it just it just proved to me that there was a vast knowledge deficit even amongst ministers and Christians who would, you would think would know about this stuff. But what ends up happening is, is a lot of pastors don't teach on the end times. And so we talk about that in the book. Number one, why is it that we don't teach about it now? Now, evangelicals in their churches, a lot of them are up on Bible prophecy, but for some reason, uh, it, it seems to be uh, less prevalent among African-American churches. And I talked to a lot of pastors about it and they were just saying, man, we just don't teach on it. You know, folks going through, you know, how I keep my kids off of drugs and I got a crazy husband, crazy wife, you know, we, we need other type of things uh, uh, from, and, and rescuing from the Lord in our situation. Now, what do I do when I don't have a job, you know, that type of thing, you know? So, uh, but the thing is, is all these things that are happening around the world, such as what's going on in Israel and the Middle East, all of these uh, uh, play into a larger narrative and scheme that that fits under the heading end time prophecy. Now, could it also be that because I know coming in the up in the black church, the, the, the Baptist church, there was no no reference. And and then when I got put on, it was actually at a um, majority uh, Caucasian and Hispanic church in Texas. I mean, I was a full, you know, grown man. But could it be that that doesn't make good for tithes and offerings. Why, you know, certain churches, whether they be white, black or in between, people don't really want to, you know, give to that. They want to hear an uplifting message, almost like a motivational speech rather than hear, hey, this time is coming and you need to prepare yourself because you want to go in the first batch, the first group of tribulation. You don't want right. to be here. So is do you think that's what it is in your study, that it doesn't make for good fundraising is why certain preachers, whether black, white, or in between, don't preach on it? Well, I, well, I think the, the, the narrative of end-time uh, prophecy uh, – it just doesn't preach well. You know, I had a friend of mine tell me, uh, uh, how, do you, how do you hoop on the beast rising out of the bottomless pit, right? <laughs> and and how, how do you hoop on the seven trumpets? You know, he said, it's hard to preach. Uh, uh, and you're so correct that people want to hear the, um, uh, they want to hear the things that's going to make them feel good. They, they want to hear the things that uh, uh, put them in a mood to saying amen and 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 running around the church and all of that, and uh, which supports the idea of being uh, more open to to giving. And I think I think a lot of times uh, our priorities in church, and this is not all churches. There are many many balanced churches, and the Bible does talk about you know tithes and offerings and giving and things like that. And 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 you shouldn't mind giving to an organization that's doing good in the community, things like that. I mean, people give to the Red Cross, people give to the United Way. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, 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 today's pastors uh, have a very educated uh, uh, congregation. And so pastors have to be educated. Pastors need to go to seminary. Uh, pastors have bills to pay and, and a wife and kids to take care of and things like that. And also uh, churches are, that are doing a lot in the community 
uh, have have people from the community looking forward, uh, looking to them to be a support in the community. So therefore, balanced churches. Uh, uh, the thing is, is there are a lot of balanced churches out there that do that. So we're not talking about those. We're talking about as you were uh, 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 alluding to. Uh, um, a lot of churches, their whole agenda is, uh, you know, to uh, uh, the, the main thing is fundraising and things like that. Uh, and sometimes it's not legitimate. And just like you could have bad teachers, bad policemen, bad politicians, you can also have ministers. I mean, there's bad and everything. I mean, you've got counterfeit money, right? If you if you if you ended up with a counterfeit five dollars, you and, and 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 one of your fives was a counterfeit, you you wouldn't give up on spending money. You know, the thing is, you get rid of the bad one, you keep on stepping. And so that's how we have to look at the churches. But but the thing is, is you're right. Uh, uh, subjects that are uh, like end times are more melancholy. They're more, they're more doom foreboding and that type of thing. And so people tend to draw back on it. Plus, I call it the calculus of theological doctrines. It takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of that. And but I find, particularly amongst millennials, I mean that's that's the biggest that listen to my podcast, Revelation Revolution. Um, uh, our younger people. And I think that there's really ears out there for it. If you was to tell people that the Bible talks about many of the things that we're seeing today, I think that would draw interest because there's a group of people that are that are hungry for knowledge and people deal better with the truth than what people think. A lot of times we say, no, don't tell them that. Don't, no, they might not. They might not respond right. No, let's not do that for the people. Let the people hear about it. And you'd be surprised. A lot of times folks say, yeah, tell us more. No, definitely. People want to hear more. And, you know, you cannot preach the end times in one Sunday. I mean, it's a whole series. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, even that can be a, a challenge, for, depending on, you know, the pastors. I, I personally would think that's easy because you're like, hold on. <laughs> I, right. I, I need to go, you know, in chronological order and, and then I can take from this and take from that. But I understand that the, the study of it and that some folks may not even understand that for themselves. They might not have been preached that. As far as the signs of the times in your research, have we seen, how many signs have we seen thus far? Okay. Well, one of the, one of the main signs, and this is probably one of the reasons why evangelicals uh, back Donald Trump, uh, one of the main signs that we've seen in the last 70 years, and, and of course uh, that's older than both of us, but uh, even though, even though I'm, I'll be 65 this year, uh, 70 years uh, was the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Now, uh, in Matthew chapter, uh, Luke chapter 21, uh, one of the, uh, uh, during that whole narrative called the Mount Olivet Discourse, the Mount Olivet Discourse is bas basically when Jesus's disciples were, they were at the temple compound in Jerusalem, and the disciples were showing off the buildings to Jesus. And he said, isn't this a beautiful temple? You know, it's kind of like when, when people come to Chicago, I, I like to take them downtown and show them the Willis Tower, the Navy Pier, the lakefront. You know, everybody does that. You know, if you're from Miami, you take them, take them down to New York or LA or wherever you add it, you got to it. You know, you're happy to show off your, your city. And so they're showing off this everything to Jesus. And, uh, and then Jesus drops a bomb on him. He said, listen, he said, you see this building right here? Not one stone to be left upon another, but it's all going to be thrown down. And so that kind of like 
through ice water or what, what they were talking about. They said, well, what the Lord didn't tell us, you know, what are the signs of your coming and the signs of the end of the world or uh, the end of the age? And so, so Jesus said, uh, let no man deceive you by any means. He said, for nation shall rise against nation and, 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 and kingdom against kingdom. There should be earthquakes and famines and in diverse places and all of that. He said, then you're going to see a plethora of false Christ, false prophets that are going to rise. And then he said, in Luke chapter 21, he then talks about uh, the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled and uh, uh, Jerusalem being destroyed. So this actually happened in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus came in and actually destroyed Jerusalem. And just like Jesus predicted, not one stone of the temple was left upon another because when they were burning the temple, a lot of the gold inside of the temple melted and the, and the soldiers, you know, uh, toy, were trying to get to the tearing down the huge stones because the gold was running in between the, the stones. So they was getting at that gold, right? So it, it literally helped them or, or encouraged them that so not one stone to be left upon another. So that's part of the reason why that was so. So ever since then, Israel had not been back in their land as a nation. Now there's, there's always been some Jews over there and some people trying to settle in Palestine, but that all changed on May 14th, 1948, when Israel came back to be a nation. Now, once that happened and the Palestinians were the place uh, uh, and, and Egypt and Jordan and Syria and them, they all came against Israel. And, uh, and each time there was an incursion to, to expel them back out of the land, they would always win the wars. And so we ended up having the nation of Israel that we have today. So uh, on May 14th, uh, 19, uh, I mean, 2018, Israel became 70 years old. And uh, of course, that's when uh, Jerry Kushner, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, they had the big shebang over there. And then uh, uh, Israel uh, moved, uh, the United States moved its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and declared Jerusalem to be the capital of, uh, uh, of Israel. Now, of course, the Israelis haven't moved their capital there yet. It's just that the United States move theirs. And so those of us that are, are that watch prophecy or, or, or uh, uh, evangelicals particularly who fall under a, a, a doctrine called pre-trib, and that's when uh, the, there's a pre-tribulation rapture, which means the, the church is called out before all this stuff happens. They were really, really behind all of this because they saw that as a prophetic event being fulfilled. So number one, the nation of Israel being uh, uh, back in the land. And this, all of this is really in the Bible. Uh, and Jesus talked about it. But now some other signs that he also talked about, he said nation would rise against nation. Uh, as, as people may know, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in uh, Aramaic, Corne, Greek, and Hebrew. And so uh, at the time that Jesus was on earth and his disciples were here, the English language did not exist. And so, um, so that means that the Bibles that we read today are all versions or translations. And so in, the, in, in a lot of translations, like the King James Version, it says nation will rise against nation. Well, the Greek word for nation there is ethnos, where we get our English word ethnicity. And so Jesus predicted there would be times where ethnicities would be at ethnicities and there would be a, a, a lot of political and social unrest in our cities. So these uh, cities and countries and, and tensions between nations, along with things like pestilence, 
which things like COVID-19 are. So those are just some of the generalized signs, but it's all pointing towards an apocalyptic event where there's actually going to end up with the Battle of Armageddon, uh, uh, war breaking out in the Middle East and all of that. And this is why these signs are so important. Wow. I mean, that that is a just a handful of, of knowledge. Now, with, you know, nations against nations, is there anything that you have studied that shows that possibly that could start our America? Because America is a nation full of many nations. I mean, from right. the business to the personal. Is there anything that shows where um, America plays in that? Any hints um, that we can take from any of your research? <laughs> well, actually, I have a book on that. It's called Exalt Thyself as the Eagle. Uh, Exalt Thyself as the Eagle, a prophetic call to turn this nation around. I actually wrote this book in, uh, in 2015, and, and it's actually taken from uh, the uh, prophecies of Obadiah. Uh, now, geographically, the United States can't be found in the Bible because the United States wasn't uh, uh wasn't wasn't around obviously uh, at that time but i think characteristically you can find aspects of um uh of prophecies that can fit the united states totally and so one of those prophecies is is the prophecy of obadiah where basically uh the bible says though you exalt yourself as the eagle and though you set your nest amongst the stars which is a very interesting uh, 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 phrase in Obadiah, um, uh, where, where, and it's not a typical uh, Jewish idiom. It's, that phrase is only found one time in the Bible, exalt, uh, uh, set thy nest amongst the stars. From, it says, from there will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Uh, and one of the things it talks about uh, in Obadiah, which, which is the historic context of that, is Obadiah uh, uh, prophesying against the ancient Edomites. But the bottom line is, is there's characteristics of that ancient nation that can be correlated to the United States. A high, high habitation of living, uh, a very proudful nation, a people that believe no one can defeat them, uh, a, 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 very, a, very, a very arrogant presence around the world, uh, the symbol of the eagle, and literally setting a nest amongst the stars. Now, Obadiah didn't know anything about the United States. Of course he didn't. Uh, this was written uh, about 3,000 years ago. So, of course, he didn't know. But the God that inspired him one day would know there would be a nation that's powerful, that has the symbol of the eagle, and literally has a nest in the stars uh, through, the, through our space program. So there are some things that are very, very interesting. Uh, and, and in my book, Exalt Thyself as the Eagle, I talk about that. And actually, I predict the decline of America in the world, and this was this was this was before Donald Trump was even um, uh, elected president. And look at our status now around the world. Well, you you would have a lot of people that said, said, "Well, he has made America great again." But just ask some of our our the global community how people sees America now. So the bottom line is, you know, the, we're the most powerfulest nation in the world. But yeah, we got 22 million people that have COVID 19. We're the most powerful nation in the world. But yet we're about to hit four. 100,000 uh, people about that's dead from COVID-19, more than anybody in the world. And we're supposed to be the stuff, right? Uh, we have more people in prison in the land of the free. We have more people locked up in jail 
percentage-wise than not percentage-wise numerically, even though we're only three percent of the world's population. There's a lot of contradictions uh, that that go on. It's a great place to live. Places like Miami. I mean, look, I'm looking at your backyard, dude. I'm jealous. I'm coming. I'm about to get on the plane and come down there, right? But the bottom line is, is uh, while we have a lot superficially, uh, there's a lot of hurting going on in America, and a lot of it is because there's a lot of inequity. There's a lot of injustice. Justice, uh, uh, still a great place to live. I'm, I'm not trying to pack up and go nowhere. I was born here. I ain't going nowhere. But the bottom line is, is we're just being real about it. So there's characteristics that we can find in the Bible. Nothing specific, though. Okay, awesome. And where can folks find that book? I did not see that on your Amazon list. So where? Can oh that yeah, book yeah, yeah. I, well, that's because I promoted my my latest book. You know, I'm like a songwriter. You know, my my my. It's it's the latest song I wrote. That's the greatest song, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's called "Exalt Thyself as the Eagle." A prophetic call to turn this nation around. It's on Amazon. It's on iTunes. It's on Google. You can get it all over the world. You know, when I release my publishing company, I got worldwide distribution. So uh, you can get it anywhere. You can download it in ebook. Any of my books, uh, you can do that. So exalt thyself as the eagle. A prophetic call to turn this nation around about about America and Bible prophecy by way of inference and correlation. Now, you know, we had talked um, off air about, you know, book publishing and you were giving me some uh, good game. And I just wanted to know with audio books now, you know, especially with the youth um, coming up. But it seems even I mean, everybody's on the go, on the run, traveling. You know, everybody says audio book, audio book. And next they'll be saying make it a movie because I don't even have time to listen without, you know, visualizing. But. Do you see your books going into audio because a lot of folks aren't going to read and it's a lot of stuff is being, you know, it's almost like the ancient Egyptians where the hydroglyphics like who can read hydroglyphics now, but the wisdom that were in those hydroglyphics. um, Do you see yourself, you know, venturing off into the audio books? You know, people have asked me about this and I'm actually looking at it. To get it done, uh, it takes a while. You have to find people. You have to find actors to be able to do it, or, or you can record them yourself, actually. But I'm, I'm but I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a lot of work. There's a lot involved. I know that there are platforms available that'll do it for you. You know, on, on a uh, but you have to uh, uh, give give them a generous part of your. Your, your royalties, you know, and as businessmen, you know, we, we're trying to figure out how to keep more, a lot of the, on our side of the table, right, instead of giving it away. But, uh, uh, yeah, they make it easy nowadays. People are on the go, and I've asked, people have asked me all the time, can they do it? And and the reason why it makes sense, look at how, look how popular podcasts are. And I, and I believe that uh, you have people, you're probably streaming to a podcast or something right now, there's people listening to you, listening to us as we, uh, as we are um, uh, as we're conversing about these various subjects and people are people are on the move I mean it it, it happens so much that uh, excuse me I had some distractions here in the background uh, it happens that people are very busy nowadays and uh, they're on the run they got the earbuds in the ear and instead of listening to music content they're actually uh, uh, enjoying um, uh, uh uh, audio books and conversations and talk radio and things like that. So yes, audio books definitely have a place. Okay. No, that's great. And you know, there are so many folks. Um, the clubhouse app is the new social media rave at the moment because it's so exclusive and, you know, invite only 
and you, you can be in a room with so many different people, but there are so many different voice actors over there. It's really just finding the right person that can do the job in the timeline that you want it done. So, you know, it is expensive, but there are so many avenues out there and people. But again, as you know, good help is sometimes hard to find, mm-hmm. you know, who, who, who is. So my 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 thing with that, and, and I want to even go into your other business, because talking about good help, you you know, you're doing some real good work in Chicago. Tell the folks what you do f- with your other business. But right. well, our other other business is called Couples Mentoring Youth and Family Services. We're a social service agency. Uh, it started with my wife and I years ago. We were working for another mentoring service. We didn't have our own kids, so we thought it was a, a real good idea to start mentoring kids that were in foster care. So I had a friend of mine that had an agency, and I actually started working for him. And uh, my wife would and I would go together and pick this little boy up. And uh, we, would, we, we just thought it was the greatest thing in the world, you know, working together as a husband and wife, uh, working together with a child that was in foster care. We would pick him up and take him to Denny's and take him to the movie, just go have some fun. I mean, he loved us. We loved him. And it was a real, real good thing. And so one day I had to go by myself to pick him up. And he, um, he, he asked me, well, where was Miss Shanti? That's what my wife's first name. And uh, at that point, I, I realized, because technically I was his mentor, my wife was kind of like the ride along, right? I, he was actually assigned to me, but my wife would come along all the time, but the, but the, but the boy didn't need it. The uh, young lad didn't know that. And so when I went by myself to pick him up, he said, where was my wife? And at that point, I realized that he had saw us both as his mentor. And then I came up with the idea couples mentoring. And so that's the name of our agency, Couples Mentoring Youth and Family Services. And we started out uh, with just my wife and I, then we started hiring people. And then after I wrote the programs and started marketing it to the agencies in Chicago, it like took off. I went from one contract to about 20, 25 contracts and we was all over the place. And uh, we, when we started our business, we didn't even have an office yet. People were coming to our home and doing their interviews. My wife said, well, you know, this is, this is nice and cozy, said, but we can't keep doing that. So we ended up getting an office in Blue Island, Illinois, and then we expanded into Indiana. We eventually expanded into Missouri. We were doing a, a, a state of business in three states. And uh, so now basically we're just Illinois and Indiana. And uh, we've uh, got a, 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 a fairly large uh, contract with the state of Indiana providing a, an array of services, uh, mentoring, tutoring, case management, uh, in-home counseling, uh, uh, psychotherapy, uh, case management, parent education, supervised visitation, and all of these type of things to help bring families back together. These are supportive services to help uh, families that have been uh, broken apart to reunify. So uh, we do that. We have a number of employees that help us with that. So it's cool, man. It's really, really a great thing to uh, be in the process do something you enjoy, get paid and have a, uh, a business that's making it e- even through uh, the pandemic. You know, we haven't slowed down. As a matter of fact, business has picked up. So that's just a, that's just a positive to throw out there that, uh, you know, not everybody is, uh, is suffering from COVID. And, and then our heart goes out to all the business owners like restaurants and pe- that, that need people to gather. Uh, uh, and, and I know this hard times, but it's just good to know to give some hope out there that, that, that not everything is lost. And so we've been doing good and that's what we do. And plus we have a radio broadcast ministry. We did have a nursing home ministry, 
uh, but we had to stop that when COVID. So we we, we discontinued that last March uh, when the when the, when the COVID nineteen first hit. And so we, but we still do our radio ministry. I've been broadcasting on air for 20 years in Chicago and uh, we now have a podcast as well. So, you know, we, that with my publishing company and, 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 and my three full-time jobs. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So, so, you know, you know, we, we, we enjoy what we do. God has blessed us and keeping us through all of this. I love to hear that because, you know, there be people say, hey, why don't you slow down? But when you have a purpose, slow down. What what do you mean? Um, Keep going and and do everything you can do while you have breath. Now, we you know, we we talked about, you know, even in the you know next decade, you may be looking at, you know, selling the, the business transfer of ownership. Can you give the people who may be listening right now, you know, what type of business is it? Is this a business that they could do all the way in California or Florida, or do they need to be in your area? And what type of numbers are these contracts? Cause someone who looks at RFPs weekly, if not daily, you know, the money, sometimes you're like, wow, okay, we're going to go after that one. If it is in our wheelhouse, but a lot of folks get jaded by the money. And they just see the 90,000 for three months of work, but don't understand what it's going to take to actually um, make right and fulfill that contract. So can you kind of talk about that so people can hear the behind the scenes when you do get these contracts, how much time you have to pour in and what you have to do? Well, the thing is, is infrastructure. Uh, if you have a, if you have an infrastructure set up, it, it, it affords you the ability to uh, run your business Um uh, remotely. Uh, uh, right now, because of COVID-19, we, my wife and I, we're, we're running our business primarily remotely. We do have to go in and meet with our staff, uh, uh, you know, uh, on a monthly basis. We still do that. Uh, most of our services are done out in, the, out in the community. A lot of them, I have actually have two sites, and I have one in Merrillville, Indiana, and one in Highland, Indiana, uh, which are which are in close proximity to the Chicago areas. Where really, Chicago, the way it's situated, uh, the the southeast side of Chicago actually borders with Hammond and uh, uh, East Chicago, Indiana. So Chicago's close to Indiana. So, but the thing is, is um, um, it depends on the infrastructure you have set up for any business, whether you can run it remotely or not. The bottom line is in most small businesses, CEOs and directors of businesses need to have some hands on uh, with their company. You know, I, I tell my wife all the time, people need supervisors. You know, the bottom line is people need managers. People are not, people inherently do not do what you tell them to do. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a rebellious human nature that we have. And if no one's over standing over our shoulders, making sure we're doing what we're supposed to do, a lot of times we won't get it done or we'll find another way to take shortcuts and things like that. Those shortcuts could end up to incidents occurring, which could be detrimental or costly to your business and so you have to you have to be uh uh, uh you know there's kind of like no way to c- certain businesses like a barber shop there's no way to do a haircut remotely i mean there's just certain things i mean you're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to do and it has to be up close and personal another thing about uh social service agencies a, more, a lot of these contracts uh and rfps 
uh, which have to, like in our case, we have to do them every two to four years. Uh, and so you, you have to keep your writing skills uh, together. You have to be up on RFPs. You have to be able, be able to read one of these uh, government RFPs, give them what you want, because it's very easy not to, to get passed over. I mean, excuse me, if you don't do things right, they don't even consider your thing. You could have, you could have an expansive thing. You have one uh, expansive RFP uh, with many aspects to it, but if you blow it on one of them, you're out. And so um, the thing is, in a lot of these contracts, what they, what they call zero-based contracts, they, they don't come with a guarantee of money. The thing is, is once you have your contract, like in our business, uh, uh, what, once you have the contract and offer the services, the next step is getting the, uh, the case managers of these various agencies to make referrals to you, fulfilling those referrals in a confident manner, uh, and then uh, getting more business. So as you build up and people know you, they start making referrals to you and things like that. And so it can be very, very, very rewarding, and it can be very, very lucrative. You know, the bo bottom line is... Uh, but it takes a lot of work. And so um, uh, that's 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 what I would say about that. OK. And, you know, you, when you talk about barbershops and, and being there, I have seen in Washington state and I know you, you know, about Washington state as well. It's almost like I backtracked everywhere you went, um, I, you know, decades later. <laughs> <laughs> I was shifting and I didn't even know you, but it's like the same path. Right. Um, yeah. The in Washington state, I saw a brother um, chop it up, create a, a shop, create another shop. And he had a, he has all these shops. And basically he's not even in what I would say, the barbershop business. He's in the franchising business, giving his barbers ownership of the shop, like with shares. And he then went back down south because he was like, you know, y'all on the West Coast are crazy. I'm gonna go back down south and reopen all these shops. So he has that franchise model where he, he's changed it, where I haven't seen many barbers, black barbers in particular. You know, this isn't Vidal. Sassoon. This isn't, you know, one of those big chains. This is one man with an idea who, who did that. So like you said, if you create a system and hire right, it seems like, you know, it could be for you because mentoring is one of those things that's needed. But you have probably the magic pen or have hired somebody with that magic pen with those RFPs. Are you, are you and your wife doing that yourself? Or are you guys found somebody who can search those and then write them and submit them properly? You know, it's a funny story, man. On, on our last contract cycle, we were going to, there was this lady I knew uh, who used to live in um, the uh, Northwest Indiana, which is the Herring, Hammond, Mary, Maryville, Gary area. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners at least had heard of Gary, Indiana. Um, but anyway, the, uh, we were going to call her and, um, uh, let her do our, uh, RFPs that were coming out. The, the, the state released the RFP in December, like December 4th, um, uh, 2018, right when we were going into Christmas season. I mean, they, they could have, they could have been considered and at least did in October or something. And they waited to December. So, man. I was going to hire this, uh, this person to do it. And when I, when I found out what she was going to charge me to do it, and then there's no guarantee you go get it. 
Uh, my wife said, look, honey, you about to write them days yourself. See, I've, I've always written our own RFPs. This year, that year, I was going to try to take a break and expand and do it. So I ended up knuckling down and doing it and, and uh, wrote the RFPs. And, and God blessed us because we were able to get every service and I expanded services. I added about six or seven services. And uh, I, I wrote the RFPs. They warned all the companies that the state had changed the the criteria and the the um, the requirements uh, for the RFP and a lot of agencies ended up not getting their contracts. So what ended up happening is there's a lot of that uh, business ended up coming over to us, which was a good thing. And um, uh, so the bottom line is is you have to have someone with the skills to be able to read those contracts, read those RFPs. And uh, they're very, some of them can be very complex, particularly when you talk about state and federal level and, uh, and all of that. And so you have to have the writing skills or at least have someone that's able to do it. And, and, but no matter who you hire, it's still not a guarantee. So uh, it's good if you have them, your, uh, have the ability yourself. But if you don't have the ability yourself, definitely you need to have access that knows how to navigate through the complexities of completing a state or federal level uh, RFP. And where did you learn that? Because you talk about, you know, most people need um, a supervisor, a manager, but I think that's what a lot of times school does, especially, you know, college. And when people go higher, you're just paying someone to make sure you read a certain amount of books in a certain subject. But, you know, you were a Navy man, and I know that the Navy didn't teach you how to read RFPs. So where did you then learn that and, and be able to master that skill? Well, well, actually, uh, what ended up happening was, is uh, actually through the Navy, I did learn a lot. Uh, I, I rose up very quickly in the Navy. I was a, a naval police officer in my last few years of the Navy, went into the, went to the Justice Department after um, uh, being part of the uh, United States Immigration and uh, uh, Bureau of Prisons. It was in federal law enforcement. And so uh, I, I had a diverse background where I ended up with, with, with on-hand experience uh, in uh, a lot of areas. And so um, that's how, because I didn't go to school to be a social worker. Actually, my, my, my doctorate is in biblical studies. And so I, I had a, a ministerial track. Uh, but what ended up happening is, is uh, uh, God gave me the ability. Some of the things that, that I had were natural talent such as writing and the gift of writing. And so, uh, which I was able to actually apply in the technical sense when it came to uh, uh, doing these, uh, completing these RFPs and these very complex uh, uh, applications. I think the first one I did is I wrote our first uh, 501c3 for an organization that I was with. And, and I think in doing things like that, you learn how to do things. That In my case, it was the 501c3 and I did a couple of those. Uh, the first time I did a 501c3, I had a, the government wrote me back and it was a few t- tweaks I made. The second one I did, it went through on the first time, and it, which is usually unusual when you do a 501c3, particularly for a church. Uh, then when I uh, d- uh, did the trademarks for our business, instead of hiring an attorney, I did that application by myself. And I think of learning how to, to do things like that. And then when I started my agency, uh, there was a, a person that wanted um, 
uh, me to do their paperwork for their mentoring service. And it was just really uh, interesting how God prepared me to start my own business because I actually ended up doing all the paperwork for this other guy to start his mentoring service. So when it came time for me to do mine, I just changed the headings on all that stuff. And man, I had all the paperwork already. <laughs> so you, you, you learn by doing, but typically, now that's my story. I, 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 I can't say that's how it's going to work for everybody. But the bottom line is, is this, um, uh, we, most people have to go to social work school, uh, social work administration and that type of thing to learn how to do these RFPs. But there's a lot of self-starters uh, like myself that if you just take the time and go through these things, like, like with 501c3s, the, 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 the government gives you the instruction on how to do it. You really don't have to hire an, an attorney or a tax accountant to be able to do it. You actually can do things yourself, but it's the it's taking the time, reading the material and going through it. And then when you submit it, they'll, they'll write you back and say, hey, you left this out or you left this out. You have to resubmit this. And then that's how you learn. But that's, that's, that's basically how I did it. So that self-starting, that's the, that's the key folks. And I, I like the shout out you gave to the Navy. I didn't want to say the Navy didn't teach you anything, but learning <laughs> this RFP stuff there. I mean, even in Harvard, you could go to Harvard, you could go to the Harvard of the South, which is Grambling State University. You guys know, I uh, mean that, that no one's teaching you that stuff in, you know, even if you go to law school, they're not necessarily teaching you how to be a lawyer. They're teaching you about the law and the practicalities, but not you exactly. Know, and so you really have to self-start. And I see a lot of folks struggle with that. So they then go get what they would call a life coach. And some of them are like 20 years old, right? They get a 20 year old life coach and think life is going to just change. But mm -hmm. it's really you sitting down and just doing the work and being stubborn and determined. So that that's what I, I wanted to to get at because I also know the Navy didn't give you, you know, your, your doctorate. <laughs> so, you know, right. Wanted, wanted to definitely go down that route. Now, you've mentioned this next uh, subject uh, throughout the, the whole interview, but I, I just want to be, you know, straightforward because I ask every guest that I interview, what is your community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Well, number one, uh, being philanthropic and uh, uh, charitable is a very important thing. And so, uh, we've, we still actually support uh, 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 individuals. Uh, we have helped a lot of families and things uh, we have given to people. Uh, my wife and I have lived a, a life of giving back uh, because one of the most rewarding things, you know, one of the things that Jesus said is better to give than receive. And so it's not so much that uh, you, it, it's the warm, fuzzy feeling you give you get you you get when you give to somebody, but uh, it's also the part that if you're in the position to give, that means you have already, and so uh, 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 that's a better position to be in. It's better, it's much better to be in the in the giving on the giving side than the handout side. So uh, <laughs> the bottom line is is uh, and so that's all a part of it. You know, you reap what you sow. And so uh, the bottom line is, if you're just taking in and taking in and not giving out, you you become like the Dead Sea. 
uh, that's that's full of salt. It's over in Israel. They call it the, the Dead Sea because if everything flows into it, but nothing flows out of it. And so that's just a concept that people need to have. And as you give, there's a, there's a saying in, in, in the church, you can't be God given. And that is so true. You know, the bottom line is, is uh, those of us that have a little bit, we need to give to the community. So that's what we do. Uh, through PhD ministries, we support people, uh, support, support other uh, not-for-profits uh, uh, and uh, individuals. Sometimes we take people under our wing and actually help them and uh, with things at home. And sometimes that people need clothes or furniture and things like that. And so that's what we do. We do that through our, uh, our ministry arm because that's our 501c3 arm. And uh, uh, we enjoy being givers and, and all of that. And so I think that's a very important part. And it, and it kind of evens out our humanity. You know, when we're not, we, we, we don't want to become the, the proverbial Gordon Gecko that's spouting the greed is good type of thing without being philanthropic and giving back and taking time to give. Uh, uh, and as a matter of fact, that's the whole thing of, of Martin Luther King's birthday now is to be to to donate your time uh, doing something, giving back, going to the shelters and things like that. You know, and it also helps re, uh, fortify that if you've been blessed to live good and you've been blessed to uh, uh, have an extra dollar to give, that you should think about that because these are our brothers and sisters that we're trying to help and encourage. Uh, and, and, and part of my testimony is, you know, I'm living good now, but actually there was a time when I was homeless. I lived in seven different shelters over a period of about 10 years of my life. You know, I've gone through. And so, um, uh, but now I'm, I'm far, far, far on the other side of that. And so uh, I understand it from a very practical uh, situation to know that what it's like to, to live in a homeless shelter, what it's like to be in a rescue mission. And so, uh, and to and to get and to have to get in the food line and and eat and and, and sleep, you know, in, uh, amongst other people and things like that, and like the, as they do in rescue missions. So so God has blessed me and, and bought me a mighty long way. Uh, so that's what that that's what inspires my wife and I uh, to to be to be givers and to be supporters of the community uh, whenever we can. Now your testimony, we talked about it off air. It's amazing. But I just want to know what book is that in? Because I don't even <laughs> want to give it away to the people. I want them to have to read it and say, wow. <laughs> well, that's that's not in that's not in the book. You know, uh, I, 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 I guess I would call that one what Stevie want to call here songs in the key of life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Dennis Woods' version. But the, the thing is, is, uh, you know, everybody has a story, man. You know, everybody has uh, something that they're going through. Uh, everybody has some difficulties. Uh, and, and, that, and, and, and it's in coming out of the difficulties is where we're made. You know, a diamond is, a, a, diamond is a, a piece of coal put under a whole lot of pressure before it turns into a beautiful gem. You know, gold, gold when you dig it out of the ground, is raw. You know, iron ore don't look like nothing until you melt it down. You know, these are all things that have to go through a process of refinement. And it's in the refinement is that's where we find the beauty that's in us. You know, the, the, one, one person said uh, uh, of one great sculptor, he said when he looks at a big piece of granite, he sees the beautiful sculpture inside that rock. His job is to bring it out. 
you know, with all the chipping and, and, and all of that. Now, the piece of granite ain't digging it, you know, because they, it, you chipping, you hammering, you knocking. But, you know, uh, in that whole refinement process comes the beauty of it. And that's just how it is, you know. Uh, we have to go through things. Uh, we have to we have to have struggles. And these struggles is where we learn. Look at how, how many businesses, how many companies have been created out of need, out of struggle, out of people going through. So, so what I'm saying is this, somebody that's listening to this, that COVID-19 is going to redefine where you go in life. You know, you're going through right now. You might have somebody sick. You may have someone die, some, something like that. You may have a business closed down. Your money may be funny and all of that. But what that's going to do is it's going to force you into finding a way to live, finding a way to make it, finding a way to survive. And 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 in the uh, social services and psychology field, that's called homeostasis, where you have to maintain the balance, you know. And that's 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 what we have to do. We make adjustments to make it to get through, you know. And so, uh, uh, and, and human beings can be very resilient, you know. You if you look at uh, 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 Abraham Lincoln's story, I mean, he lost elections. He wasn't good looking. Uh, people talked about him. He had depression. His when his son died and all of that, uh, he ran for office, lost, had a business, it failed and all of that. But he kept pressing and kept pressing. And next thing you know, he's number 16 president. You know, so the bottom line is, is through all of that failure, hurt and pain, often comes the, the green light that will light up and the light goes off in the head and God taps you on the shoulder and said, this is your purpose. Things are not as bad as they seem. I was bringing you through a refinement process. And that's what, what uh, a lot of people need to be encouraged by. You know, you have to go through your tribulations and go through your vicissitudes uh, in order to find out who you are. But you need problems. Sometimes it ain't nothing like a good problem to make you redefine yourself. And so that's what I would, that's what I would say to your listening audience. You guys have been blessed by the game. I can't I can't say it any better than that. That's inspiration. That's wisdom. I don't want to give you a game overload. You know, I could talk to Dr. Woods all day. You're going to have to wait for that next interview. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. This is inspirational on various levels. No matter who you are, you can eat something from this and feel like you have had a meal. Dr. Woods, I thank you for coming on. Yeah, can I, can I show your audience my book? <laughs> of course you can, and we'll make sure we put the links in the description box. Right, right. You must know the time. Uh, answers to 25 questions on end-time prophecy. These, this is a subject that everyone needs to know. But, but it has been uh, a very inspirational uh, giving a, a piece of my story. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should do that biography and then, and then see, if I could, and see if I can get somebody to uh, find me an independent producer. And, and, and get out there. Uh, actually, I do have a couple of the books that uh, my publishing company has published. Uh, we're looking to do movies on. So uh, that's something I'm very interested in. As a matter of fact, I have some friends in the uh, music uh, industry and uh, uh, publishing industry. Uh, Kurt Farquhar, uh, we all grew up together. Uh, Daryl Jones that plays bass for the Rolling Stones uh, for the last 20 years. Kurt Farquhar does music for uh, King of Queens and Cedric the Entertainers, a show that's on Channel Two, and many of the uh, many other shows. Uh, Mr. Farquhar does the music for that, and I have other friends that have played with Miles Davis. I got a friend over in Europe, and we were. I said I'm a 
bass player too and a songwriter. So, you know, we all came up together in Chicago. We were Southside Chicago boys, you know. So the thing is, is uh, just want to inspire your people, man, that, that are your listeners, that uh, there's some beauty in you, there's some talent in you that, that sometimes is untapped. Uh, but vicissitudes and trials and tribulations uh, have you go down deep and get that oil out. You know, oil, sometimes it just don't gush out. Sometimes you got to go down there and get that oil, you know. So, you know, that's all I can say. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Y'all, y'all be blessed. <laughs> Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.